Oh, good morning, Mosaic Church. Oh, do you guys remember back um, like five minutes ago when Zach said, hey, do you think we can sing this new song together? I shouldn't be honest, I had my doubts, but, but we did. Most of us, 92.8% of us did. It was, it was incredible. But I tell you what, that song, whoa. <laughs> Jesus said some pretty incredible things. And I, if you're anything like me, it is hard to believe some of them. It is hard to believe that, that my experience could possibly be a piece that I can't even understand. That my experience could be following in Jesus' footsteps, a joy that I can't even express. A hope that's abounding, a life that's abundant, a life that is free from the slavery of sin. Sometimes there are things that he says that were really difficult to believe. And yet, in faith, empowered by God's spirit, we do. There, there was a moment with Jesus' disciples, and, and Zach alluded to it, where Jesus said something that I believe for them was the hardest thing for them to believe. If you uh, like to take out your Bible and you like to look at the verses, this is a good one to look at. John chapter 16, verse 7. Uh, if you don't want to look at your Bible, that's fine. I promise to read it as accurately as possible in the English. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus has gathered together with his disciples, and this is at the Last Supper. So you have all of that in your mind. Jesus has gathered with his closest people the night before he's going to die on the cross. And he says this shocking thing to them. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. So this is Jesus amping it up because Jesus always told the truth, right? He never lied. God never lies. Jesus never lied. He says, I tell you the truth. And I think he says this because he knows how difficult this is going to be for them to believe. I tell you the truth. It, it is to your advantage that I go away. Even Siri can't handle it, <laughs> right? She can't believe it. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, when I read this, I, I'm immediately transported to October 6th, 1993. And all of you are, know exactly where I am, like, cause you're there too, right? You're there, you're, you're up in Chicago. You're, you're, you're in a room. And you've got Bill Cartwright with you. You've got Horace Grant. You've got Scottie Pippen. You've got John Paxson. And of course, you've got Michael Jordan. And they have just won three championships. They are the greatest team in basketball. And Michael Jordan, who everyone calls the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is there. And he gathers with his team and he says, hey guys, I'm about to announce the world that I'm retiring. And they're like, what? And he says, no, no, no. It's actually to your advantage that I go. Never mind that I've been averaging about 30 points a game. Never mind that I've been the MVP of the league and MVP of the championship. Uh, never mind that, you know, I've been the defensive player of the year a number of times. Never mind that I'm at the top of my game. Guys, this is not Brett Favre when he went to Minnesota. 
This is not Tom Brady when he went to Tampa Bay, right? I know they were still great and better than most quarterbacks, but they weren't at the height of their game. This was Michael Jordan at the tip top height of his game. In fact, many people believe he got better. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to retire and go play baseball. Could you imagine all of them around the table be like, yeah, no, no, I totally get it. I'm with you. Yeah, it, it is better that you go so that we cannot win some championships for a couple of years. <laughs> like, I mean, just, just think about that. Like we've all got, you know, in a group of friends or in family or spouse, maybe that when they say, hey, it's better that I go, you're like, yeah, I, I, I really need some space. You know, right? This is not what's going on. So just think about Jesus with his disciples. Okay, they've been traveling with him for about three years. And in that time, they have listened to Jesus teach in ways they've never heard anyone teach before with authority. They've never even grasped all of these concepts that have just lit up in their mind, the ways that he's, he's lit up in their minds. Did you hear that? <laughs> Today, mark this on your calendar. We just added a word to Webster Dictionary. So whoever has connections, go to m-w.com and put that in there. Litton. That is the way that you pronounce it. Wow. He took the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and it lit up in their minds in ways they had never seen before. Jesus always knew what to say. He always knew how to interact with a person, what to ask, when to listen, when to speak. He knew how to do it with, with the sinners of sinners. He knew how to do it with Pharisees. He knew how to do it with the chief priests. Like Jesus always knew what to say. Jesus was incredible. He was a better fisherman than professional fishermen. Because one time professional fishermen fished all night long, they caught nothing. And Jesus said, just did you try the other side of the boat? And they did. And they caught so many fish that it broke the nets. Like, like this is Jesus. Jesus who could beat any human being alive in a foot race on water, right? Like Jesus, like, I mean, it's better that I go. Jesus who with a word could fight off bacteria and viruses in a person's body and make them whole. Jesus, who could rewire neural pathways in the brain, who could repair broken neural connections between the brain and the spine and the limbs just by touching a person. In fact, he could heal a paralyzed person who wasn't in the same town as him. Jesus could heal long distance. Jesus could reanimate dead cells in the lives of deceased people and bring them back to life. And the disciples saw it. They experienced it. They saw Jesus bring someone back to life. And then he goes and says, hey guys, it's to your advantage that I go. There was no category in their mind that could fathom that, that there was any realm of reality where that could be true. Right? It was like, having a conversation with Renault and he just, he sees the future in such beautiful, like majestic, amazing ways. And I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see it, Renault. I remember when I first started working here back in 2010 and, and I, I told my wife just after a couple of months of working here, I said, you know, Jennifer, one day I'm going to leave Renault's office after having been fired. And I'm going to say, oh, that was gospel beautiful. That, that was Renault fighting off planet death and bringing life and freedom and light and beauty. It was amazing, right? Is this what, is, is it, this is, this is Jesus saying, it's better that I go. And of course, the disciples are like, there's no way. 
That is not in the realm of possibility. How could it be better that you go, that you leave us? And he follows it up with this. He says, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now the helper is the Holy Spirit the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus. He's called the comforter. He's called the advocate. He's called the spirit of wisdom. He's called our teacher. He says, it's better that I go because the one coming after me makes it better. Now, I don't know how you are about expectations. I like to, to set expectations low so that people are never disappointed with me. You, you guys do that? Yeah, like I'm never going to tell you it was the greatest movie ever. It will change your life. Because I want to I set expectations low so that you're always surprising people. Like they're always like, oh, it was actually better than you said. Oh, you're not as bad as you made yourself out to be. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not. But like, like that's the way I do it. And so Jesus, like I don't know that you could set expectations any higher. To say, look at my life, what I've done, what you've experienced with me, what it's been like when you've been with me and think about the person coming after me and he's better. It is better. Come on. These are the expectations we should have when we think about the spirit of God. Better than Jesus with us. And let me tell you, he doesn't let down those expectations one bit. Why? There's a story in Matthew after Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the greatest sermon ever given, like, like just below one of mine. You know what I'm talking about? Like just, just right, right in there. Greatest sermon ever. Like he's bringing truth that, just, that, that people have never even heard before. And he comes down and he encounters what is arguably the last person you would want to encounter if you were a good Jewish rabbi. He encounters someone with leprosy. And the reason that's not what you would want to encounter is two problems. One, just their, their thought process on how contagious that was. And so if you got near that, you might catch it. But then also they were considered unclean. And as a good Jewish rabbi, you needed to stay clean. And this leper comes running up to Jesus. He bows before him and he says, if you will, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then it says, Jesus stretched out his hand. And the Greek phrase, it's this beautiful word that means that Jesus stretched out as far as he possibly could. See, that's the picture we should have of Jesus, him stretching out as far as he can to touch an unclean person. And he said, I am willing, be clean. See, what we have in Jesus is God reaching out as far as he can in the form of a single human. And yet God, because this is how incredible our God is, God desires to reach out even further. In Jesus, God reached out as far as he could in the form of a single human, and yet God desires to reach out even further. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. Now let's talk about this in the, the, the story frame of the entire scripture. And we've been in, in this story frame for uh, this entire series. And we're talking about these three realms, mainly these two realms, heaven and earth. These two domains, these two spheres, these two spaces. 
And I, and I, I got together some images and I, I didn't create these images. Lane created these images and they're, they're really good. And, and I just, I knew I had to have some slides uh, because that's the only way that you can tell Renault and I apart. Like everyone, they're always like, oh, you guys look like twins. You know, you're like, I'm both tall. And you both have, you know, that, that, that you know, bronze skin. It's beautiful. And, and, and so, so I have slides so that when I'm teaching, you're like, oh, there's a slide. It's Brady. That, that's why it is. But just imagine, okay, you've got heaven. Will you throw up, throw up that slide, this next one? So you've got these two spheres, right? These two circles. You've got the green one, which is earth, obviously. And then you've got the white one, which is heaven. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And the picture that we have is that these, these two realms, these two domains are overlapping and they were created to be intertwined as one. Heaven is the space where God rules and reigns and his will is done always perfectly. And earth is the domain of the earth creatures, right? Of the dirt creatures, of humans, And God's intention in creation was these two realms to be overlapping. And then not only that, not only did he create a space where earth would be saturated with heaven, with justice and righteousness and goodness and beauty and freedom and life and light, but he took these dirt creatures and he invited them up to be with him and to rule with him that God invited humans to partner with him in ruling this heaven and earth space. But we didn't want that. We didn't want to rule with God. We didn't want to partner with him. We didn't want to do it his way. We didn't want to listen to him. And so we said, no, we want to do it on our own, in our own way, in our own wisdom. We want to be the only gods of this space. And what we see is spelled out really well in Romans chapter one. We look at how God reacted to that. Is he like a gentleman politely said, okay, if you don't want me in your space, I'm going to let you experience that. I'm going to let you experience the natural byproducts of that. And let me tell you, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And what happened when heaven moved out of the space, it left room for this third space to enter in, to infiltrate, to corrupt hell. See, oftentimes when we talk about earth and heaven and hell, we talk about earth as this present reality and heaven and hell as this future reality. And while yes, there is a future reality of heaven and hell, what the scriptures talk about all the time and we miss it so much is there is a present reality to heaven and hell. There is a present experience of heaven and hell. And what we did when we said, God, please remove yourself. And he said, okay, I will to an extent and allow you to experience what happens is we left room for hell to spread out through this planet and infiltrate every inch of it. And you can see this, right? So you've got heaven kind of moving out and you've got hell moving in, taking over the realm and reign of this planet. And we experience this, right? We experience some of hell on earth. Right, God in his kindness doesn't let us experience the fullness of it right now. And I'm so thankful 
But when you think about the ways that you've been hurt deeply, the ways that people have hurt you, the way that you've hurt others, or you just read the news and you think about all the just horrible atrocities that are being committed against humankind, you can see hell has a foothold in this planet and it's awful. It's destruction, it's corruption, it's horrible. It's painful just to think about, much less to experience. And if you just think about the devastation that has filled our world, you can see it. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert to Judaism. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus said that there is a present reality, a present experience of hell. But the beauty of our God, first of all, that he doesn't allow us to experience the full weight of hell right now. Like, amen, thank you, Lord. But he also while polite in saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you experience some of this, his heart was always to move and spread into our planet, to bring the kingdom of heaven in, to saturate earth with, earth with that. And although he, he took a, a, a small space at first and we saw it in the tabernacle and Renaud talked about the tabernacle and then we saw it in the temple. And then last week we saw it in Jesus in a more powerfully tangible way than ever before. God put an embassy on earth. He put an outpost on earth and he said, my kingdom is gonna move in. Because the picture we see of God is not a God who's waiting for us in heaven to figure out how to make our way to him. It's a God who says, no, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to take over your planet with life and beauty and freedom and light. I'm coming to bring heaven to bear onto this planet because I love you that much. And you see this movement in the words of Jesus. He's with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And he asks the disciples, hey, who are, you know, when people talk about me, who are they saying that I am? And people are like, oh, maybe John the Baptist, maybe one of the prophets, maybe Elijah. And Jesus says, what about you guys? What do you guys think about me? Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up. And this is one of those golden moments where Peter just nails it, right? He just gets it right. And I love it. He said, you are the Messiah, the anointed king. You are the son of God. And Jesus says, yes, amen. He said, God, the father revealed that to you. And then he says this, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the what of hell? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now are gates an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon? Defensive, right? You put up gates and walls so that people can't get in. So the picture Jesus paints for us is that the movement of God is invading the hell spaces on this planet and that we as his church will do invading on his behalf. See, God said, I'm not just gonna leave you to your own devices to experience the full corruption and weight of hell on this planet. Instead, I'm going to invade this planet with heaven. You're gonna partner with me arm in arm and we are going to bust down hell's territory and take it. Now you'd think if that's what we're doing, 
why wouldn't we want Jesus here in flesh and blood leading the charge, right? It's better that I go. Jesus, do you not remember what we're supposed to be doing? We are at best idiots stumbling towards you, right? On our best day. How in the world are we going to just get up and tie our shoes, much less invade hell and take it down and destroy it? Come on. And this is where it gets good, folks. Oh, this is where it gets good. In James chapter three, verse six, this is the half brother of Jesus. He's riding to the church and he says this. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. James looks at our tongue and he says, it is set on fire by hell. Hell sets it on fire and we expel it and it sets on fire our communities. It sets on fire our relationships, our families, our world. And we get this. It is amazing how much power there is in a hellish comment, right? I don't love you anymore. I don't believe in you anymore. I don't think you're worth sticking around for. I hate you. You disgust me. I'm so disappointed in you. You hear those words and you begin to feel how we can take hell from our mouth and put it into someone else's mind and begin to corrupt their thinking patterns. James said, our tongue is set on fire by hell. Now get what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Where does what comes from the mouth come from? Our own heart. James says it's set on fire by hell. And Jesus said it begins in the heart. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Jesus says that our hearts are a hell factory. That our hearts are this factory that's pumping out hell into this world. And it comes out through our mouth in slander. It comes out through our mouth in gossip. It comes out through our body in murder and in greed and in, and in, in stealing, in lust, in deceit. If God is going to take down hell, he's got to get hell at its source. And what we see the picture painted in scripture is the source is right here. It's in my own heart. It's not somewhere out there that, that like, like, like I'm oppressed by. It's like, no, I'm adding to it, right? I am adding to the hell on this earth in the way that I hurt people, in the way that I objectify people, in the way that I use people, in the way that I oppress people, in the way that I enslave people, in the way that I see myself as better and look at you with contempt. Like when I do that, I am spreading hell into this planet, when I lust, I'm spreading hell into this planet. When I lie, I'm spreading hell into this planet. 
I am corrupting God's beautiful world. And so if God's going to get rid of hell, if, the, if heaven's advance is going to tear down the gates of hell and remove it from this planet, it's got to start here. And this is exactly what Ezekiel the prophet says as he's speaking for God. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, he says this. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. Out of the heart comes the hellish things that stay in the world, stay in the entire course of life, as James said, I will give you a new heart. See, Ezekiel knew. Ezekiel knew we need a brand new heart. It's not just that, that, that you know, we can kind of have some correction and we can ha- kind of have some forming and kind of have some shaping. It's like, no, you've got a hell factory inside of you and you need to get that removed and get a heaven factory inside of you. That's what you need. And so God speaks through Ezekiel, said, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God says, I'm going to remove the hell factory. I'm going to put in a new heart intertwined with my spirit. And it's going to begin pumping out obedience. It's going to begin pumping out truth. It's going to begin pumping out love. It's going to begin pumping out self-sacrificial, other giving, other serving perspective. Thinking about the other's needs is more important than myself. God knows that we need a brand new heart and we don't just need a new heart. We need a new heart that is intertwined, that is woven together by God's own spirit. John chapter seven, verse 37, Jesus says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I love that picture. If anyone thirsts, let that person come to me, to Jesus and drink. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, God is going to do such a powerful, miraculous, supernatural work that out of your heart will now, rather than lust, will flow out love. Rather than taking, will flow out giving. Rather than dominating, will flow out submission. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's not just that we're going to come to Jesus and drink, but something's going to happen so radical when we do drink from Jesus that then out of my heart and out of your heart is going to flow out heaven. Rivers of living water is going to flow out of your heart. And then it says this, just in case we didn't know what he was talking about. Now this he said about the spirit the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Comforter, the Advocate, 
This he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This he said about the spirit. Jesus said, hey, it's better that I go because God is gonna do such a miraculous work in your heart, giving you a new heart in your 20, in your heart with his spirit that you will begin to pump out heaven. And then Jesus says this. Now this, he's back in this upper room where he was with the disciples when he said, hey, just so you know, it's better that I go. But now he's risen from the grave. And it says, it, this says this, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is the day Jesus rose from the grave, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, I don't know how many of you get startled really easily. I get startled so easily. Just the other day, I was opening a door uh, over there and Amanda was right there. And I was like, ah, I screamed just like a man. Like I just... I just get startled so easy. So I'm so thankful that Jesus says, peace be with you. Those are his first words because I can imagine myself being with, you know, Peter and you got John, you got Thomas, you got Andrew. You're just, you're just in this room and all of a sudden Jesus right there. You're like, oh, hey. And so peace be with you. Peace be with you. He just materializes in a locked room. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus breathed on his followers and said, receive the spirit. I, just like the father has sent me, now I am sending you. With the power of the spirit, we are commissioned to be sent as Jesus was sent. And get this. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. What kind of work is forgiveness work? Is this human work or divine work? Divine. This is divine work. And he said, now that you have a new heart and the spirit is intertwined with your heart, you are commissioned to participate in divine work of bringing heaven into this planet. In fact, this is what Jesus connects barging the gates of hell with, with Peter. He talks about this forgiveness stuff. That what we are called to do as we get this new heart that is intertwined with the power of God's spirit, the very God who spoke the universe into being, that we now are vessels who can go into the world and spread heaven and take down the gates of hell that our hearts become this place that pump out heaven, life, beauty, freedom, goodness, abundance. It's better that I go. It's better that I go because in Jesus, God reached out as far as he could in the form of a single human. And in the spirit, God reached out even further. Here we see this incredible picture of our God constantly pursuing our hearts, continually running towards us to embrace us. 
I love the picture that we see of Jesus in Revelation chapter three. He's writing to a church. So he's writing to a bunch of followers, to people who, who he already resides in their heart. And he says this, he says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Just this picture of God. It's like, I can't get close enough to you. I can't embrace you hard enough. I want to go deeper. I want you to know me more. I want to be more intimately connected to you. Back 16, 17 years ago, I met my wife. And uh, we, we didn't live in the same town. We lived, uh, you know, five and a half hours away. And we spent these, these two days together where we just met. And it was, it was one of those, and I know this didn't happen with everyone, but it really was one of those like, like, you know, infatuation at first sight type deals. I mean, I was just completely head over heels for her. I, mean, I just, I was so in love with her. And my eyes, you know, were just like the cartoon, just pop it out of my head. I just, I loved her so much. And then she left to break up with her boyfriend, which was appropriate, right? That, I mean, that is exactly what she should have done. And she did, she was faithful to that. But, but we, we spent three months in distance. And I tell you what, like, like we talked on the phone all the time for hours and hours and hours. And this was when there wasn't unlimited plans on your phone. And so it cost her dad so much, so much. We, this was back when it cost like 25 cents a text message. And we sent so many text messages. I think their cell phone bill was $600. I, I think that's not exaggerating. And this was back when you would type a text, it was just with the numbers. And so you had to figure out what letter each number represented. And, and, you, and I would still do it. Like that's how much I loved her that I would be willing to type numbers into words so that she could receive them. And I just, I wanted to be with her so bad. And three months later, she moved to be uh, in the same town where I was. And I was, I could not wait to see her. And I still remember, I, mean, I, I will never forget the moment she got out of that car. And I just ran up to her and I just embraced her. And I, I just remember holding her so tight. I just remember, I, I could not squeeze tight enough. I could not get her close enough to me because I just loved her so much. I wanted to be, I wanted to be able to just like open up my chest and just put her inside my chest because it was just like, you need to be closer to me. I love you so much. And that was before I knew anything bad about her. That's how incredible our God is. Because while we were yet sinners, in the darkest of my mess, in the most horrific place in my heart, in my mind, in this space that was pumping out hell, Jesus says, I want to get closer to you. I want to embrace you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not embarrassed by you. I don't need you to clean it up for me to be there. I want to dive headfirst into the darkest, muddiest, grossest space in your life. And I want to literally transform the hell out of it. That's our God.
That's our God. And it just, it, it wrecks me. So when I think about what he did and when he did it for me, even me, you know, for hundreds of years, the church has been trying to wrestle with so many things in scripture, but one of them is Paul saying, pray without ceasing. And I just think, how can you pray without ceasing? That's what believers have wrestled with for a long time. And one of the ways that Christians have tried to live out this command to pray without ceasing is through something called a breath prayer. Now it's not weird and mystical. It's just this idea that you breathe to stay alive, right? You breathe in and you breathe out, and then you breathe in, and you breathe out. And that all day, every day, you just breathe in and breathe out. And what, what, what Christians said to do is, is just take a phrase, a small phrase with two parts. And part one, you say as you breathe in, and part two, you say as you breathe out. So that you can all day long just kind of have this prayer just over and over in your head, over and over in your mind. And it began with blind Bartimaeus who, who said, Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But over the last couple of days, I've been just, just marinating on God, reaching out in Jesus, reaching out even further in the spirit and being the God who is transforming everything in me. He said, I'm going to complete the work that I started. One day I'm going to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And God is doing that work. I've just been saying this prayer over and over again. As I breathe in and as I breathe out, I pray this. Spirit of Jesus, transform the hell out of my heart. And I don't mean it in a crude way at all. But I mean it in the literal sense that I don't want one iota, one atom, one molecule that pumps out hell. I'm so sick and tired of my sin and the ways that I participate in the corruption of this world. And so I just, I've been crying out to God when, you know, thoughts pop into my mind that are not glorifying to God. I just say, Spirit of Jesus, transform that hell out of my heart. Change me. Wash me clean. Spirit of Jesus, transform the hell out of my heart. And my encouragement to you this week, if your parents are okay with it, that you would make that your prayer. Because Jesus started the work and I guarantee he's gonna finish it because he said he would. And we're gonna take him at his word. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, wow, 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 wow. How in the world can you be this good? How in the world can you be this kind, this generous, this gracious, this compassionate? How can you be a God who knows me fully in the depths of my filth and still want to get closer? How can you be knocking on the door right now saying, let me in further so we can feast together? And yet I believe it because I'm taking you at your word. Lord, I pray for all of us here today. I pray that you would continue that work that you started, that you would get closer, that in that space with our new heart, intertwined with your spirit, that you would continue to transform all of the hell out of it so that all we produce is heaven. That instead of lust, we pump out love. Instead of slander, we pump out encouragement.
Instead of gossip, we pump out grace. Instead of lies, we pump out truth. Instead of bitterness, we pump out forgiveness. God, help us. We need you. We take you at your word and believe you will do what you said you will do. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are doing it. Please continue. Don't stop now. In the name of Jesus, amen.